Hello friends, we're back with Emmett Penny. Here's Emmett answering my question about whom we should address pro-nuclear arguments to, the right, the left, or just anyone who'll listen. Look, do I want to live in a world where there are fragments of the left, that there are a bunch of Democrats and there are a bunch of Republicans in America that all agree we need to do a big nuclear build out, whatever other fights we might have? Absolutely. Absolutely, I want to see that. So I'll talk to whoever. I was on like a Bitcoin podcast earlier today talking about nuclear. Yeah, they it need needs someone, to be they a need consensus. that power to do their mining. So <laughs> right. It needs to be a consensus issue, right? Like, and that's the other thing. The way people talk about the environment uh, is like so apocalyptic. It freaks people out, makes them feel like nothing is possible. And they also don't want to hear it because saying that the world is going to end in like 10 years, and that's why you need to build out more solar panels or whatever just like is not a compelling argument yeah and it also for people it, who are already like telling you that they fucking hate the country they already live in no one wants to have you in charge if that's who you are i'm sorry people don't want you to run things they think that's weird uh and they think it's sus yeah no i mean i've and i've been critical of environmentalism for like at least a decade and a half if not longer and the obviously the constant alarmism doesn't really breed any um yeah but kind of mass change albeit it does seem to be increasingly concerning like i i'm now at the stage where i'm more concerned about climate change more actively concerned about it i guess than i than i was before which i guess doesn't say very much because you don't <laughs> you don't know what the baseline to that was um but for me it just seems an obvious answer because i don't want to have to think about climate change i don't want to have to have a climate change politics i kind of want someone just to deal with that there are other politics which i feel demand my you know active intervention and energy production i'm like we'll just do it you know do, make a bunch of clean energy i actually don't care if it costs too much right yeah. like I, I i think that's fine um if no one's making prof a profit off of it like that's also fine right um but having cheap available and reliable energy seems to be such an open goal and I think, I think a lot of people want it. And like, look, man, I was talking to my first episode of Nuclear Barbarians. I talked to my friend Paris, who's the global organizer of Stand Up for Nuclear, which is like a big international pro-nuclear campaign, right? And she was talking to a Belgian nuclear supporter who said, I would burn the last tree on this earth to keep my child warm at night, even for just one more night. Right? Yeah, think which... about that. Which isn't a choice that, that you should have to make anyway, but you know, like, but no, but it should tell us something about the priority here, right? Is that we need to provide for people. We should be able to create a consensus for this. And there are reasons to do it outside of the environment. It just so happens to be good for the environment, right? Because the problem with just leaning into the environment thing is that is, I don't want to say too abstract in a way that like people don't get it, but it's diffuse enough that it could mean anything and people feel yeah. conned especially when there is all of this false apocalypticism that's not to say climate change isn't a problem i think it is but i think we can handle it and we can especially handle it if we do things like nuclear like look people talk all the time about how dangerous nuclear might be i don't think it is but whatever people talk about how dangerous all sorts of things are you know what's dangerous living in fucking nature the thing that rules about fossil fuels is that it made the world radically more safe for human beings to live in it for a long period of time what if we could do that with none of the bad side effects that's yeah, and, what and, nuclear offers us and nuclear is a kind of not it's not especially particularly i guess a silver bullet because nothing is but it's the single biggest no, thing that not. if you if you were to if you were to decarbonize the energy supply that's the single biggest element of it and then if you're 
doing a lot of nuclear, that's a great way to do it. And so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Like that's the, like, that's the way forward. You know, like we want to be thinking about prosperity. We want to be thinking about a type of industrial vitalism. And we want to be thinking about a sort of general, yes, national civics, because this is going to be state capacity. Sure, you might collaborate with allies to build nuclear. That's great. You know, we love that. But it's still going to require state capacity to do. And the thing is, electricity is national. It is. Like, the UK is learning some pretty hard lessons in how it sold off a lot of its electricity Mm -hmm. to EDF in France. There's a great article in LRB from 2012, I think, by a guy named John Meeks. And he talks to one of the guys at one of the electric plants. uh, And he says, look, when we got privatized, one of our goals was to restore our company to national ownership. Um, we succeeded. I'd like to think we succeeded in that goal, but we restored it to the wrong country. But I guess you can't be too picky, right? Like it's national because energy sovereignty is important. Phil on this show talks a lot about how sovereignty is a precondition for democracy. Well, sovereignty is also a precondition for energy. And I think cheap electricity is, uh, basically bedrock for a modern democracy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you, even if you're, you know, if you're a socialist, if you're a revolutionary socialist, that still kind of applies, at least in the, you know, in the interim period. It's not something which is um, can be dispensed with as some disposable element of bourgeois society, which you want to get past. Right. So I'll say this. Right. Obviously, now I talk with a lot of people on the right, and that's very interesting. And in fact, a large number of these people end up being working class, which is also interesting, right? Uh, What we might call the cultural right in America. That's fine. I'm fine with talking with these people. They're fellow Americans. I'm interested in what they have to say. And some of them respond to my work. And I I live in California, right, which has these things called flex alerts that come out now from our grid operator, Kaiso. And it's like, hey, between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m., don't turn extra things on. Don't use too much energy. In other words, like nudging you towards energy austerity. And it was interesting. I saw, I was talking with some people and they said, this is socialism and I hate it. And I was like, well, my instinct was to be like, well, not really. Like you have to understand. And I was like, okay, but what do they mean when they say that? Because I want to take them seriously. So what did they mean? They meant their association in their mind is that socialism means austerity, right? You might not be able to fix that, right? But that's what it means. Okay, but then, because it's California, and there are a bunch of lefties, and some of them do call themselves democratic socialists, they're pushing for these renewable schemes that are creating this energy austerity and this grid fragility. And 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 they probably support high taxes on on energy, on on various other things, right? On all this shit. And so, of course, these people rightly say, well, that's socialism like these fucking socialists say it is, and that means austerity, and I I don't like it. Yeah, I'm I'm actually working on a piece at the moment on on this exact thing that the that what people imagine to be socialism is actually very much contemporary capitalism in it in yeah. it, you know in its current form and um and I think we should be open to the, to those people making that argument. It doesn't matter if they are you know if they phrase it as being socialist and they understand uh, all the kind of contemporary bureaucracy, lack of development, uh, austerity, et cetera, as being, you know, quote unquote socialist. I think that's, you know, you can, we should take that argument on and kind of go with it rather than uh, recoiling from it or, or, uh, you know, pre- presenting a lesson on what socialism actually is. Right. Um, right. Right. 
um, as, as you've said. And I think this also ties into, just to kind of round this out, something that you've written about uh, in, a, in a great essay called Political Life in the Lottery of Babylon for the American Conservative, um, oh, which you. also bears some similarities as well with, with, with things that I've written about as well, about the kind of undevelopment of, uh, of the West, at least in terms of Brazilianization. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder if we're kind of looking forward, does this look like it's changing? I mean, you're following this from the energy side of things closely, mm-hmm. and that might be a, there might be some good indication, or at least uh, serve as some sort of weather vane as to whether things are are beginning slowly to change. Yeah. Look, so I mean, who knows? Maybe this is just campaign talk, right? But. Uh, Boris Johnson was just like, well, we're going to build a, more nuclear reactors by 2035, right? I mean, we'll see if the Tories can survive what the hell is about to happen this winter, by the way. Like, pretty much, if you don't keep the lights on, your ass is getting canned. Well, and and, um, and, and, and for in Brazil, too, for that matter. I mean, this seems to be just absolutely everywhere. And if, if there's some a global, or if not entirely um, universal experience, but that it's an experience that happens in many different countries that, the, that everyone's <laughs> kind of has shortages of energy or extremely high prices that will have some political consequences i think in a way yep. that covid for example didn't didn't provoke um and might be worth yeah. exploring why that might be but um i think it's one of those things those issues like you said inflation which tend to provoke uh tend to provoke unrest of some sort or another and you know energy prices or energy shortages blackout brownouts blackouts are definitely one of those yeah, absolutely. And like, look, it's going to be hard to write the ship in America. We've got our work cut out for us. It seems to be easier to defend the existing fleet now, which is great. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to make more arguments going forward um, after this. I, I know I plan on writing some things about how this winter shakes out um, in America pleading and arguing for a nuclear build out as a response to all this. And look, like, Macron uh, the other day was like, we're going to start making SMRs. I don't know if he is, but like, look, the fact that anybody is saying this out loud is um, heartening. It isn't necessarily the same as doing it. So I'll always take it with a grain of salt, but it really does look like we're seeing an about face on the stance towards nuclear. You know, I think people are going to learn some very painful lessons in Germany once Nord Stream 2 gets built. Like, look, once you let go of energy sovereignty, it creates all sorts of problems for your society. You are now dependent. I can't think of anybody who wants to be that way. You know, uh, that should freak you out um, as a citizen of a country, right? You should want to have your own energy. Um, That just seems reasonable to me. So look, yeah, I'm hopeful. because I'm always hopeful. It's different than optimism. Optimism is a state of mind, hopes and action to me, right? So I'm always going to be fighting for this. I don't care what uh, comes my way. It is worth it. I see it as my civic duty and it is vital to the enduring prosperity of America that we build more nuclear. All right. Very good. Uh, we'll leave that there. And even, I guess even if you're not interested specifically in the prosperity of America, nuclear, most likely, unless you have some other great, uh, cheap, clean energy source where you live, uh, and there are some places which do, but most people don't. And so nuclear sounds like a, a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I Can I just add like one thing Go that I forgot it. to mention earlier? Okay. So look, I'm sure a bunch of Green New Dealers might come for me after this episode comes out. Here's something you guys should look into. 
a guy named Mark Z. Jacobson. A lot of Bernie's Green New Deal is built on Mark Z. Jacobson's research. He has tenure at Stanford, along with Amory Lovins, the Rocky Mountain Institute guy who helped design the Energy Vinda. The paper that a lot of this Green New Deal stuff uh, is based on comes out of Jacobson's work. And in his paper, he said, we can do 100% renewables with no reliability problems. And then some people got together and were like, this doesn't pass the smell test, so we're going to give it a sniff, right? And what they found out was that he had misjudged by orders of magnitude how much hydropower, right, dams and stuff, we could possibly build out in America. And that if you adjusted it for a more realistic estimate, none of that was actually possible and there would be extreme reliability issues. Jacobson's response was to find the one mathematician on this paper, um, his name is Clack, who had no institutional support and sue him for $10 million for defamation right? Then he retracted it, which is a slap lawsuit. You're not allowed to do that in America. So now he has to pay that guy's legal fees, right? It isn't just that Mark Z. Jacobson is a shitty person. It's that that science is bad. It's been proven to be demonstrably bad, but these people are supported by institutions that will never punish them for this behavior. So you should be way more wary of the people that are selling you this than you are. I promise. All right. Very good. Yeah, we'll leave that there. Cheers. Thanks for having me. All right. And we're back. It's myself, Alex, George, and Phil to discuss what we've learned and heard uh, and try to tease out some of the strands that uh, Emmett suggested. And I think one of them is the question of whether there's been a, an evolution, I guess, in environmental thought, environmental politics, uh, ecological politics, because we've obviously heard there, uh, and we're all aware that there is an environmental resistance to nuclear, and not just an environmental resistance, but a neoliberal centrist one as well. And therefore, these forces combine to uh, basically shaft our ability to expand our energy output in a sensible way, which would be nuclear. So has environmental politics changed? I mean, it doesn't seem to be the kind of hair shirt environmentalism of old. You know, they want to be ambitious. They want to build out a bunch of solar and a bunch of wind turbines everywhere. So that seems kind of ambitious and modernist, albeit they still recoil from nuclear. Yeah, more more yuppie, less hippie. You could you could sort of say yeah, there's yeah. a kind of a a, a greater sheen um, on some of the, I guess the kind of guardedly pro tech some aspects of, of, of some parts of the green movement. I mean, there still is, there's organizations, I guess, like Extinction Rebellion or Interlake Britain here, which are, you know, you can see a clear continuity with the, the crusties with the, the hippies. Um, that's not a negative term. I think it's just, I, I don't know why they're called crusties. Is it because they have like crusty hair or probably I I assume so. anyway, sorry, I'm getting, I mean, getting, it is a negative term, but that's fine. You are getting sidetracked. Let me intervene to put the discussion back. On I course. had a valid point, but I can't remember what it was. Gone. I would to say, I guess, well, to I suppose agree with George. I mean, XR is certainly um, seems to have all the kind of uh, pathology and irrationality that is familiar to environmentalism right from the start. Um, you know, the weird kind of the weird performative demonstrations, the deliberate attempt to kind of um, 
incapacitate people going about their ordinary lives, but in a way in which the protest is unclear what the protest will actually achieve by doing so. Um, the weird yeah, but, kind of but plays that they stage discussed... in public spaces, all of this. So yeah, it well, is we've still discussed very much like, in keeping. Yeah, and we've done a whole episode on, on Extinction Rebellion, but I don't think we should take, I mean, yeah, as, as, as we're discussing well, energy policy, that, that XR we should, is... XR aren't, aren't at the levers of uh, decision-making, right, in terms of energy. So No, sure, but it's to say, like, you know, how far has environmentalism changed? So certain strands, you know, you see kind of strong continuity, but there is increasingly, it seems to me, like an increasingly vocal pro-nuclear um, uh, green movement or part of the green movement, um, and it's associated with people uh, like um, Mark Linus, for instance, who famously, the British environmentalist writer who famously flipped on this question um, and is now kind of an advocate for nuclear. There's also Zion Lights, who's a former XR activist, um, and she's now kind of a staunch advocate, partisan of um, going nuclear in order to uh, combat um, climate change. So there is a makes, strong strength. It makes sense, right? Because as Emmett sort of detailed, like the like nobody's died from from nuclear waste from from power plants. You can that the the picture he painted of the the Dutch like having these murals on the wall, and then you put the the um, uh, nuclear waste into the into the ground. It's quite you know it's very it's very clean, and that could even be recycled at some point. So I think there is a like there's a technological argument whether it can be accepted ideologically. Is a is a different question because I think, you know, nuclear is 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 bad for the environment. That's that's like a um, a non kind of evidenced but a starting point. I think of a lot of people's understanding of you know of energy, but I think it's it, actually true. It's true, and to you know, I think to some degree it's welcome. You know, just I mean, there's also like you know, there's a small kind of a minority I gather of environmentalists and greens who support, say, geoengineering as a solution to climate change. So I think you know that kind of technophilic strain is um, is welcome in broad terms, in that at least it means that there's you know a greater kind of constituency um, in society at large for large scale technological solutions to our collective problems. On the flip side, I mean, it doesn't actually, you know, it's not going to address the energy crisis this winter, you know, like, I mean, it takes, it takes an enormous amount of investment years, if not decades of, um, planning and effort and building and all of that, you know, to get nuclear, to get nuclear power stations online. And so it's, you know, um, it seems, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if there isn't a utopianism, a kind of uh, utopian socialism at work in this new kind of technophilic green movement in as much as there is, um, you know, it's not actually going to solve any of our immediate problems. And for those immediate problems, given the unreliability of wind and solar, you still need fossil fuels. While you're building yeah. the nuclear stations, you do still yeah. need fossil fuels and there's no way around it. And I think it it still situates the problem as like people using electricity, people using energy. People are essentially the the problem. You can solve the problem of people with technology, which you know that's not a very humanist approach. I think one of the things that Emmett really captured very well was how the grid, like the electricity grid, is this like technological achievement of modernity. And you just like you go over to the wall and you press a button and the light comes on. Actually, you don't even need to press a button. You can clap your hands or there's motion sensors. And like you, you can just you got do you have that in your house? That's terrible. That's terrible. No. You have Alexa listening to everything you do. No, I have no I I have a, a light switch or 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 
more than one light switch but the you know I'm just <laughs> listeners might have whatever i think the i think you're missing the point the point is that that represents an incredible like an incredible triumph and freedom you know that's pretty good pretty good shit i think the the grid is uh, he captured that very well and, i did like uh, that i did like that um, but I think return to Phil's point about the utopianism, I think there's a shift certainly or an evolution of environmental thought in the mainstream where that idea of treading lightly on the earth has been abandoned in, in, in the face of climate change, where solving climate change is the primary ambition. Now, obviously, we know that they aren't truly serious about it if they don't embrace nuclear Um and that there's a, a huge element of catastrophism and apocalyptic thinking there, which impedes actual action. And it ultimately we come back to neoliberalism or you know, the incapacity for uh, deliberate state action, concerted state action, which nuclear would demand, because it's not just about, oh, why don't we build a bit of, because that the, the standard kind of environment, both environmentalist as well as kind of left-wing <laughs> response to things is, hey, let's do both, right? It's an, it's an inability to really make decisions and understand the kind of constrained circumstances, constrained circumstances, not economically, but of, of politics, where you have to push in one direction to get anything. And the response mm. might be like, well, we can try out a bit of nuclear. Why don't we build like one small plant, but then we keep building out a ton of renewables. You know, like the, I can imagine a compromise position being arrived at that would look something like that. And as I met painted out very clearly, nuclear only works and is only economical if you go headlong into it and you build a whole bunch of them along the same plan, right? Um, and that sort of thing demands a sort of um, not just decision making at the top, but will formation in society in favor of that, which seems yeah. beyond the possibility yeah. of Western societies for anything. And I would other, other than guess. other than other than sorry, other than emergency rescue, uh, emergency rescue in terms of printing money. You know, money printer yeah. go brr is the only thing that happens. And I think it's worth stressing just what a terrible indictment it is of um contemporary capitalism you know that uh, that it is um with the examples that Emmett gave of you know the grid in the uk the grid in texas and california all the problems in in what are some of the most um you know technologically advanced industrialized parts of the world that they're incapable of maintaining the conditions for industrial civilization effectively and continuously and that scene and that that basic retardation of social progress um seems well, to me it's... like a terrible indictment yeah. and that any you know if we were living in a time where there was meaningful kind of political contestation that would be in you know that would be the the kind of the toxin for serious social upheaval and revolt and yet oh. that doesn't seem to be on the cards exactly and i yeah i think it's you know no more um wonders far surpassing Roman aqueducts and Egyptian pyramids and all this sort of thing. It's but the 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 flip side is also there. And Emmett says that this this idea of flex alerts um, in California that this is like what people associate socialism with. It's like um, this is socialism and I hate it. It's an association of socialism with austerity, energy austerity, and and less. So it's like there's no what's the force in society that's that's trying to transcend the existing situation. The capitalists can't be can't be bothered with it the socialists want you to use less it's like yeah there's the, the the preconditions of industrial society are not are not are not a you know a natural taken for granted uh taken for given thing so um if there's no force in society that's that's driving that forward it's you know it's not necessary that we will always have the grid we could lose 
um, some of these, some of these things and, and the, the situation of like rolling blackouts and brownouts and not having, and, you know, investing in candles and warm clothing for the, for the winter. That's not, I don't particularly want to do that. Yeah. So, and that's where the environmentalist kind of hair shirted aspect doesn't rule, but does provide a little bit of like ideological groundwork to make that, to make those appeals for people to make do with less actually feasible for, for the ruling class. Now, I guess the question is people have to run factories, people who run, people who own factories. I mean, this is kind of, I'm painting a sort of 19th century vision of factory owners here, but you know, effectively people who, who, who own and run the world will need that energy to keep flowing and will need it to keep flowing relatively cheaply. They don't need it on the other hand to keep uh, for it to be green or to have low carbon emissions. So things will come to a head and, and some sort of a crunch because I don't think that, effectively the capitalist elite will allow politicians to get off the hook without some greater investment in in energy production of one form yeah, or but another you're, but you forget i mean you know as Emmett kind of indicated you're forgetting the fact that people make money effectively off having you know run down um the capacity to provide energy at the requisite levels people have made a lot of money out of that so you know um yeah. that was enron's game in california um, that's that kind of auction house market of supplying kind of trying to supply energy just in time. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. And, you know, if as long as you can, I mean, if all of your competitors are in the same position, um, then presumably, you know, you can run, you can run the factories, uh, you know, without s such long shifts or something. I guess what will make the difference is, is sent, you know, geopolitical competition with East yeah. Asia. Um, and the commercial competition that comes with that more, I think, than, um, you know, more than I think the kind of imperative of, you know, manufacturing in the West itself. Yeah, no, I think that that point that Emmett described, like how you manufacture scarcity in an age of abundance to, I was going to say to coin a, a phrase, but that's not to coin a phrase that's using someone else's phrase. But yeah, I mean, that's the way that you have markets within markets. And it's just, it's not, it's not an, it's not a market to supply energy. It's a market to make, um, to make money. But yeah, no, I just think uh, the final thing that I would say is the, uh, I think Emmett refers to power magazine. That just sounds like a really cool magazine. <laughs> you can imagine the, um, the, the table of contents of that magazine. Oh, well, I thought it was quite evocative and I thought, yeah, to subscribe to that, to that magazine. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was a really really good um i guess thought-provoking in interview the only one question that it definitely left me with was like who do you make this argument to this is this is the way that emmett put it like how like you've got this argument for nuclear for, for like progress essentially what's the constituency for that i think that yeah. was a bit more of a, a, a you know one a question which didn't have an easy answer well i mean just to finish i guess one proposal there i guess is that as the energy prices start to bite, and as Phil said, you know, this would be the cause for social unrest, and there hasn't been any yet, but it's by no means unimaginable that there might be in the future around this, because I think that's such a basic that, you know, that it, and generally, you know, over history, things like inflation and food price rises and energy price rises then do tend to, to provoke some sort of uh, unrest. And I think in, in those situations, if there are people on the streets, then if those people on the streets are out there uh, saying, "Hey, build nuclear, build out nuclear plants." I think that would be uh, that would be a vision of, of of progress, or at least a road to progress. I think. Okay, so I think we'll we'll leave that there. We will definitely be discussing these questions at some point again in the future as these questions develop. That's it from us for now. Catch you later. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.